Hello everyone. Welcome to episode 85 of Honestly Unbalanced. This week we are chatting to Dustin Brown, who is a former fitness trainer for Apple. He's a jiu-jitsu black belt, a Vedic meditator, a yoga teacher, and a pro surfer. Dustin grew up in Hawaii. He was introduced to yoga by his partner at the time, and he soon felt how his body and his mind shifted through this amazing practice. He's now based in Melbourne, Oz, where he founded the studio Warrior One Yoga. This conversation actually took some really interesting twists and turns and some really shocking at times. It's a conversation that I really, really enjoyed. We love chatting to Dustin and we really hope that you enjoy listening to it. And as always, guys, please spread the word, like, subscribe, share the conversation if you enjoy listening to it so that we can spread the wisdom and the messages far and wide. And you can actually now watch the videos on Adam's YouTube. Uh, There are two on there now and there are loads more to come as well. So head over to YouTube if you prefer to watch the conversation. Thanks so much and enjoy. So we also have some trainings coming up if you're interested. If you like the idea of becoming a crystal bowl sound healer, I have two trainings coming up in June. One of them is real life at Tri Yoga Camden in London. So if you're around, it's a spread across two weekends in June. So just head to my website, hollyhustler.com, and that's available to book now. I also have an online 12-week journey, which is essentially the same thing, but just for those of you who can't get to London, and it's obviously spread out over 12 weeks. That's going to be available to book in the next couple of weeks. So again, head over to my website, hollyhustler.com. You can click on join the waitlist button if you're interested. And I hope to see you on the journey at either one of them. As for Adam, Adam has a yoga teacher training, 200 hours coming up starting in May, and that's with the amazing Mia Togo and Michael Wong. Uh, There's five days in London, there's some online sections, and then there's a full week in Spain in September as well. You can find all of the information on that at adamhustler.com. And if you're looking for a new pair of supportive shoes, check out Vivo Barefoot. They make you feel like your bare feet are walking on the earth. And you can use Adam Hustler VB as a code to get you 10% off all Vivo Barefoot shoes. Honestly, unbalanced. My head looks massive. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Don't cut that out. Massive and not in focus. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to know. So you are a BJJ. Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. You're a badass. 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 You're a badass. <laughs> <laughs> so posh. <laughs> so do you think that you could beat up most yoga teachers? Not that you would. What a question. But like, do you think you, are you ever, are you ever, are you ever like at a yoga conference thinking, I could take everyone here? Oh no. I try not to let myself think like that. Um, it's kind of funny because once you start training, it really humbles you and makes you realize that like there's always always someone stronger faster a little more skilled and yoga uh, yoga also yoga also humbles you but jujitsu especially uh kind of keeps you in check and i think that if someone is untrained in jujitsu i'll definitely beat them but you know <laughs> i don't usually go to yoga conferences i uh, sizing guys up and being like let's go but surprisingly now there's a lot of crossover and that makes me really happy that there's a lot of really skilled jujitsu guys looking at the yoga practice and getting really into it and because mm. they're natural skills and abilities they're finding such benefit from the asana practice and of course that's leading them into the other other limbs mm. and that makes me so happy to see so i actually trained years ago with on the same training together with a guy called sebastian brosh 
I might be butchering his name. And who is now? He's he is the epitome of finding a niche and going with it. Like he is yoga for BJJ, and he's I I don't know that world, but is he quite famous in that world now? Yeah, he was really famous in jujitsu because of winning major competitions, and he's a beast. Him and his wife, and then they have their yoga studio. And to see him, you know, he's very skilled at his martial arts, but then how he took that and transferred into jujitsu is amazing. And he's helped a lot of jujitsu practitioners live pain free. And he's just kind of, I love his approach. It's very, you know, Norwegian, Eastern European, <laughs> that kind of like just straightforward. To do this, this will happen, you know? Yeah, to the point. It's pretty, pretty pretty special but yeah he has found his niche and ran with it and i'm really i'm really happy because it's as soon as i found i found yoga through jujitsu essentially like i was broken from jujitsu and i tried a hot yoga class and it changed my life instantly opened up my hands and all these things and i was like i need to do this every day and so i started Mm. and that was really what got me in was this pain relief that the asana practice offered me and that's really, that's really common, isn't it? That people start yoga due to either like emotional trauma or physical yes. pa- or, or physical pain. <laughs> yeah, they're like, God, oh, this will fix me. Or, it's, or someone just convinces them to go. Mm. And they, for me, I always thought yoga was a bit strange. And I think even my, my parents and my religious background kind of like gave me a lens to look through that I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. That's definitely not for me. And then when I kind of like, drop my preconceived ideas and actually tried it. I was actually and completely blown away of how good I felt and how much it resonated. I'm like, oh, maybe these crazy hippies are onto something. And now you're one of them. I think it no, was. I'm one of the crazy. <laughs> and I think yeah. it was your your wife that convinced you, wasn't it, originally to to uh, to do your first yoga class? <laughs> it was. Um, no ex-wife but business partner convinced convinced me to go to a yoga class i did, i believe she bribed me and <laughs> um i went and never looked back i was pretty pretty grateful for was, that. was that part of kind of the initial dating was that kind of you trying to get into her good books no we were married for years at that oh. point i think it was just like she had found it knew it was good mm. for me and i was like yeah no 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 never gonna do it <laughs> and she's like she's convince me she's like no i think this would be good for you it was something that like a date night we could do together so and then it turned into a thing so i think hot hot yoga is often a really good entry point for people isn't it because like people that do sports feel that they can sweat and it's a hard workout and i think another thing that helps people access yoga is pe- is seeing people like them doing it you know we, that conversation mm-hmm. could go many places but for a lot of guys that's like seeing an athletic guy who is competent at sports that require kind of muscular strength, not necessarily dance or like, although that does require strength, but as in the mm. more traditional pure sports like the surfing or the BJJ doing it. So do you find that you've attracted a lot of guys into the yoga world? I would like, I would like to think so. I would like to hope that I've had a really positive influence. And I do know that there are some, I have some brothers in the community that were initially intrigued and interested just because of that. They're just like, what's this guy's story? Like, he doesn't look like one of these yoga people, but he's fully committed and seems to be working what's going on. And so I do, that is one of my personal missions to help convert or (laughs) convince. um, Because like myself, without deeper understanding, you could 
kind of be quite judgmental. And mm. I think that ripples across so many different aspects of our lives that we're not aware of. And we start dipping our toes in and opening our eyes. You become more aware of what it actually is. It's so beautiful. Mm. So one of my missions to get more men into yoga. And coming back to uh, judgments and negative thoughts like we were talking about at the beginning, obviously a part of yoga is about uh, stepping back and taking a bit of breathing space and watching the thoughts that are coming coming up for you. So how do you kind of manage the, the judgments and the negative thoughts that come into your head when they do? My meditation practice is a big help on that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, daily practice of gratitude to try and keep a positive mindset and have that as my my pre-frame from the first waking moments of my day has been a huge, huge help mm. because I can be kind of cynical, especially towards myself. Like I'm a, my own biggest critic. I'm a recovering perfectionist mm-hmm. trying, to, <laughs> trying, to, trying to get rid of that. But because of that, I'm quick to notice and I have an eye, eye for detail. So I really try and filter what comes out of my mouth. And there are the three kind of the three gates that Buddha speaks of. And I couldn't word for word speak of them, but I do know it's like in my in my own mind before it comes out of my mouth, is it true? Is it kind? Is it helpful? Mm-hmm. Is it actually going to be abuse? And oftentimes it doesn't make out of those gates. So I try not to let it out of my mouth unless it's going to be one of those things. Mm-hmm. And then often when it does, if I haven't let it pass through, that's when there's conflict, right? That's when there's dis-ease. Mm-hmm. because I haven't paid attention to that own thing and I've caused my own dramas because of saying the wrong thing or I had to be careful with that one. So what, that is a great question. What does your gratitude practice look like? Um, one of the first things I do after getting out of bed is go to a journal and write it down. I had, I've tried a few different methods. It started like that because of advice I, had, I was given. And then I had an app. And then I was just like, oh, I got this, and I only did it in my mind. <laughs> but the actual act of, of making this little ritual, I find, of taking the time to write it down on paper, other things also come out. And then it's it's less easy to repeat the same things all the time. Because mm. inevitably, you're going to repeat yourself. But when you're writing it down, it kind of it helps you go a little bit deeper, like a little more detailed instead of like, oh, I, I am happy to be alive every day. But can't write that every day it's got to be a little more detailed a little more a little more specific so that it actually triggers a response within you mm. i try and at least write something down that gives me some sort of like a feeling that i can connect to like a person a place or a thing that i'm actually truly appreciative of and to close my eyes to take a few breaths and to feel that mm-hmm. and if i do that it truly it changes your state mm. and if i bring that state forward into my day so usually my gratitude practice, three things I'm grateful for, three things that will make my day amazing, and three things I aspire to be. So like I am statements or mindset statements that I'm practicing for the day. And then I go into five minute breath work meditation. I do a four count in, six out breath for 20 breaths, which is about five minutes. And then I start my day. Do you ever miss a day? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I we, we were actually talking and I to. I noticed the difference. Yeah, yeah. I bet. We were talking to I a guest recently. Uh, we haven't released this episode yet. A, a guest called Sarah Titcher, and we were trying to work out like how to get more men journaling. Because uh, mm. she she said yeah, it was really all my friends started when I was younger. It was kind of a cool thing to do. All my girlfriends were journaling. I thought, that's not 
it's never been a cool thing for guys. Like, no, no one is. <laughs> no. And it's like, how do I we get more men to do it? <laughs> I think, I think when you actually feel that there is a positive response and that's spoken to and given a technique behind it, because I was, I remember being taught generally before, just, just brainstorm on paper. And it's just like, I'll draw you some doodles, like brainstorm <laughs> on paper. Like that, that, that's not really how it works for me. But if I have specific prompts and then there's also, um, there's the five minute journal, mm-hmm. there's a, a mono journal, there's a bunch of brand name brand journals, but they literally have written prompts in them. Mm-hmm. I think I have one of them lying around here somewhere, but it literally, it's like, so it's a date. And for me, I'm very action oriented. I like to tick off my, my checklist and my boxes that make me feel accomplished. So if you also knowing that, that green brain mentality, if I have a little check box, uh, box I can check off in the morning and start my day with that. That also adds that feeling of accomplishment and then that compounds and creates momentum. Mm. So I find if you are goal orientated and you start to see that like, okay, this is just another thing that helps me set up a mindset and, you know, create some momentum. Often we feel like we're stuck or tired. As soon as you create some momentum that builds and grows and that's what I have found. So I think it would really help guys if they had one of these journals that had the things listed out so they didn't have to think too much. Just like fill in these blanks. What are you grateful for? What's going to make you awesome today? What do you want to be? Go do it. And a little quote. That's all you need, I think. You speak about accomplishment. Um, obviously, it's it's great to have goals and work towards achieving them. But do you ever allow yourself to be in a space where you're not accomplishing and just allow yourself to just be in the nothingness? And how do you do that? And how does that feel for you? I have to like, <laughs> I have to plan it, I have to write it down. <laughs> and, and then tick it off. It. <laughs> done. <laughs> I must have done. I did that. No, no, no. But but I notice I am driven and I, I on my rest days, I feel antsy and like mm-hmm. I'm not, not accomplishing because I'm like, okay, well, I'll do some active recovery. But I'm, I find myself thinking that way and I try and remember that that's not the middle path and that's mm-hmm. not balanced. Mm-hmm. And often I have a tendency to be extreme, mm-hmm. and like I know that about myself. <laughs> so, yeah, what do you think? I was gonna say, how do you how do you manage your time? Because like all these things that you do, and I've seen like you, you do this, you know, the surfing, the BJJ. I presume you still surf. Yeah, I try and get in the water. And you practice yoga and the studio owning and the training. How do you balance all those things out? And then also as a side note. We'll come back to that question just in a second. I read actually in a book by, do you know Ross Edgeley, that weird guy that swam around the ocean, the round the UK. Guy. Okay. He appeared on the show with Thor, Chris Hemsworth, recently as well. Like he is just this unit who literally swam for 121 days around the UK, and but also looks like a gorilla. He's huge. Uh, anyway, he in his book he was writing that actually there is a gene that they've identified, and it's often nicknamed the Wonderless gene. And what it means is that you're a f- for you to get a dopamine hit, you need to get higher levels of dopamine. And so the people that have that gene are more likely to want like thrilling adventure, want to do adventure sports, want to kind of wander and travel around the world. Uh, yes, yeah, so maybe maybe you have that gene. <laughs> maybe it sounds it sounds like I fit that that bill. But back um, to your question. <laughs> to manage my time, I. I... I have, I don't manage the studios. 
um, I have my roles and we have my, my ex-wife who's my business partner and her role is managing the managers and managing the staff and managing the behind the scenes. I help with teachers and I help with retreats. I lead the teacher trainings and I teach my weekly classes and do community. But if it was not for her and the team of management, our amazing management team, it would be not doable. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. So I'm very lucky. I have an awesome team that backs me, but to be able to fit those things in, I have to book it in. If I'm, if I don't in my calendar, mark out my training days, like, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday lunchtime are all blocked out. Dustin is unavailable so that I can go to jiu-jitsu and train. Mm. Otherwise, someone will book at that time for a private or a meeting or this or that, and it'll go away. And the same thing with my morning. I have a yoga practice time, and I have my little set times that are non-negotiable, blocked out times in my, my weekly schedule that even my staff and other people can't book in or ask me to book in mm. so that I can do those things because if not, it gets taken away and gets filled with other things. And those things aren't necessarily bad. But I want to be on the mat training jutsu because I want to stay sharp and I want, and it keeps me fit. And it also, it's like the yin and the yang. Jiu-jitsu is very yang. Yoga is my yin. And it just keeps me in balance. And if I don't get on the jiu-jitsu mat enough, I start to feel a bit antsy and kind of grumpy. And like, it just, it's such a positive release for all that energy. And if I don't have it, it does build and I notice it. And the same thing with yoga. If I'm only doing yoga, it, you feel pretty amazing actually. But that pent-up energy just builds. I don't let it go. I get antsy. Have you ever had a period where you've stopped doing the other stuff and just done yoga? Mm, yeah. Oh, you've had that. How long did that last for? Oh, like six months. I was oh, wow. like, I'm just going to focus. Well, and as well during the pandemic, like um, during lockdowns and that, you weren't uh, – jiu-jitsu wasn't happening mm. so i didn't get trained jiu-jitsu and it was i was in california there wasn't much swell and it was like super weird about surfing and going in the ocean oh. so there's a good six months where i wasn't able to surf or surf or uh or train and so i was literally on my mat even more and just what, why, what, what was the reason for not letting you get in the ocean yeah. covid lockdowns you weren't allowed to go surfing really that's weird yeah it's definitely they David. were making people wear masks down at the beach what? and like it was insane even in the water they're like if you want to go in there for a while they're like to go in the ocean you need to wear a mask that's strange you're definitely <laughs> over two meters apart in the ocean most of the time when you're surfing i assume I, you would assume you know though the jujitsu people were the people i think i felt most sorry for obviously i felt sorry for the people who actually had covid but the, in terms of sports people <laughs> the jiu -jitsu, right? it seems such a far off thing that one day you could like have your face smushed against someone again <laughs> like tennis well, okay that could come soon yoga just some nice spacing <laughs> but like just sweat and you know, blood dripping in each other's face literally it is the most full-on like intimate close to people sport ever so what did people do like did like any of your like people friends? were super parent like i think a lot of people a lot of people just trained undercover mm -hmm. and they had their little garage gyms and after a long time i just got mats and did privates and had my friends over to the house and rolled on them and then um some gyms were secretly open and okay. just had the had like construction paper up over the over the windows and oh, we're cunning. running things behind closed doors the whole time and i think they did what they did to survive and i think a lot of that went on in kind of all different ways because 
even in Australia, people are telling me stories like they had drones flying over people's houses and following cars. And they just took, they have amazing taxpayer budget over here. Like they have a huge surplus of money. So they were not wasting it during lockdowns. They were spending it on every possible way to make sure they were <laughs> diligent, keeping people in within a 5K radius of their house and all this oh stuff. God. So I'm very grateful. I was in LA during those times where it was a little more slack. And like, as whereas you couldn't go surfing and do things out in the open, you could go for road trips and drive to like the mm. national parks and go to mm. places where no one was around. And that was pretty special. That's Beautiful. Sort of, did anyone do that? Did anyone like take mats out to a national park? Yeah. Like jujitsu? Did. Of, uh, did you? <laughs> well, that would be cool. I took yoga mat and went Amazing. and practiced in the park and did stuff. Yeah. What the, what do you feel Gosh, that you true. um maybe a bit of a deep one, but what do you if you couldn't do a lot of what you love during lockdown? Well, on the sly a little bit, but what do you feel that you you learn about yourself during the pandemic? Hmm. I don't. You know, there's a lot of alone time, mm. and it just made me realize that if you're not content with who you are and have a practice that constantly reminds you of like going inwards and being able to be content with just being and being yourself, mm -hmm. you start to go crazy mm -hmm. or you find some sort of unhealthy outlet. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really noticed, like whether that be food or alcohol or drugs or Netflix binging. Like I, I saw a lot of, I, I saw a lot of my friends and people in my community either go one of two ways. It was either like, I'm going to use this time and get as fit and person development and do the best I can, or it's just like, fuck it. Let's, <laughs> fuck it. Let's see. Let's, let's see. Let's do whatever. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Totally. And or or they were good for a while, and then they kind of fell off, and they they got sad. I think even towards the end, it was, it was just so hard for for everyone. Yeah. And I do know people that really suffered depression during that time, and I I had my own moments. But I'm just grateful that I was uh, locked down with a roommate. And he was one. He's one of the trainers on Apple Fitness, and we became great friends and did cool stuff. And everything worked out. But yeah, it's yeah hard period for so many, wasn't it? And I think almost if you're self-employed purely, if you could still hustle, it, the time probably went a little bit quicker because you were just like mm -hmm. you were just doing stuff every day to try and make some money. I guess if, if you were mm -hmm. self-employed as a dancer, then it, yeah, maybe that would be still hard, but. So I know some dancers that actually grew their profile thanks to like their partner who was really good at making videos. Uh, for instance, Online, yeah, yeah that's wow, they that, build that's their, they cool. build a massive profile through that. But I guess it's it's the people that actually have normal jobs that yes, we're still getting paid, but just could, didn't have anything to do. Like where we lived at that Nothing time, to go, nowhere to go. Yeah, we were in a, like a one bed flat. And we didn't have a lot of green space near us. We had like a bit of a, a walk, which was wooded, but that was it. And, was, and we didn't have a car. It was really like, and we were trying to still teach classes. Taking it in turns to teach in the living room. Yeah, like it was, it was, it was hard for us. But I just a neighbour who was actually had literally nothing to do and lived alone. Oh, I know. Yeah, so hard for them. We had his dogs. Yeah, he had, he had two, two dogs. They and you have a lot of love. They got a lot of walks. Yeah. <laughs> These dogs. I are, used to have. What's your dogs? Yeah, do you have a dog? Well, you, you used to have, have a dog. You had a dog. I used to have Ninja the dog. Ninja. He was like my son, and oh. he passed away a couple years back. That oh. was devastating. That's oh. hard. I haven't gotten, I haven't gotten another one. He was mm. a little staffy with so much personality. He would literally come to the yoga studio and sit next to my mat in a little donut bed, and his oh. little staffy face, and watch people. 
And when we'd ohm, he'd be like, oh, and make this crazy weird sound. He tried join in. Oh. He would try to join in when we'd ohm. And even like through Shavasana, <laughs> he, through class, I'd start talking and you just hear like these little snores oh, in the back. Stop. And people at their first time, they'd be looking around like, who is snoring? And then yeah. Shavasana, his little, his little sweet little snores. Oh. And no, without fail, no matter what, when I was like, bringing people out of Shavasana, I'd be like, take a deeper breath. He'd be like, <laughs> and, snor- and do this like loud snort. Oh, I feel like and I everyone cry. would laugh and come out. And it was just, yeah, he was, oh, that's so bless sweet. his little soul. I miss him so much. That's, he was really so that was that during, um, that was during the pandemic, was it? Or no, maybe just he, after. Just, be, just before, just before, just before yeah. like you know, December oh, 2019. Oh. Yeah. Out of, out of like interest, how did you, first train him to get into the studio and be okay because i always wonder that i've seen dogs in studios yeah. before but like how did that begin <laughs> and how did it, he... It, it, he was i had him since he was eight weeks old so a tiny little pup and he was always with me oh, wow. and by the time I opened the studio how old was he he was probably at least like five or six years old already so he had already been really well trained he was super obedient and he was just like because before um yoga before we had the he would come with me to jujitsu and he wasn't allowed on the jujitsu mat and he knew that and so he would just sit on the side of the mat and watch and just like intently watching me run around the room and do all the drills and watch me roll and just be like <laughs> watching the whole time like so so into it and then and then i think yoga he's like oh this is boring <laughs> yeah, let's go to sleep so i think taking him to the jujitsu gym and then literally like if i went to a cafe he would sit next to me in the chair in the cafe. If I went somewhere and he wasn't allowed in, like a supermarket or a barbershop or something, I'd like sit by the door and he would go everywhere without a lead and he would just, he was the most obedient dog Good ever. Boy. And it wasn't like, stay. I just mm. look at him and be like, yo, hang. I could just talk to him like a person and he was really special. Adorable. Was he, um, was he a miniature staffer or just like a normal staffer? Uh, uh, yeah, he was an English Staffordshire Terror. He was an American. He was an English mm. staffy. So he was about 25 kilos. Because I did, I did, I only learned this recently. There were miniature ones as well. I met one the other day, or a few months Mini ago. We, we met one, and how we big thought, are, how, we yeah. thought, like, yeah, really small. We thought it was a puppy. We always like, oh, no, it's like ten years old. And yeah, no it, way. And it's, it's, I guess it's the size of not the size. It's probably actually the size of a French bulldog. I want one. Okay, I want one. Yeah, really, really, <laughs> <laughs> really doable. Oh, to- so oh we're both going to go for a question then. Um, I was like, I'd like to know what it was like living in LA because because I personally love LA, but I've just been with the intention to visit. But I've heard that you know if you live in the place, it can kind of swallow you up a little bit. And so I'd love to hear your take on what yeah LA living was like. It was during the pandemic, and I I found it really hard. Mm-hmm. Like um, I lived in Venice Beach, and I had a house not too far, like very close to the beach. And I was really amazing landlord, awesome home, awesome roommate. Loved my house, but I didn't feel very safe. Mm-hmm. And after I really, really just because the contrast is so huge, living in Melbourne. If we were in Venice right now, there would be helicopters overhead. There would be sirens at uh, least like 10 times during this conversation already passing by my house. Oh my God. Gunshots, people screaming. And that's just like a normal day to the point where you get used to it. Mm, and that good as that? The, the way they've changed the laws 
so that violent crime isn't really something people are held in prison for unless it, it like I think unless you actually murder someone and they have proof, they don't even lock you up. It's like they take them to the police department, fingerprint them, take a photo, and they're out in the street within 10 minutes. I didn't know that. So that could be like a carjacking, a, a robbery. Oh, my God. Holding someone at gunpoint. Like, it's actually insane. And to the point where people will threaten you and be like, we're calling the cops. And they'll be like, call the cops. I'll be right back. I'm still going to get you. Like, one of our... Our good friends, her daughter was going to school and she'd have to wait at the bus stop. And this guy would constantly harass her, telling her he's going to do horrible things to her, take her away and kidnap her and stuff. And she's like, I'm calling the police. He's like, call the police. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Like, they're not scared. And so to live in a place where guns are everywhere and there's a daily mass shooting, it starts to wear on everyone to the point where you just notice it when you're talking to people because they're not fully with you and they shouldn't be because they need to be alert and i was teaching jujitsu at an amazing gym and you know there's a back door and there's people that come in and out of that anytime someone i didn't know like recent like there was a guy with a duffel bag and he's just kind of poking his head and around looking dodgy like i'm on full alert thinking like is this guy going to shoot this place up like what's going on and so I find that really, it's hectic to even think about that because to be in Australia where that's not even a rogue possibility and things are really safe, clean and taken care of to see that contrast and to actually see it get worse throughout the pandemic and to a point now where it feels like there's no going back. Mm. And so I really noticed that where I was living in LA and I started seeing violent crime and robberies go up to a point where it's like, insane is that indescribable is that area worse than other areas local that the venice beach area the thing the thing was just i think all of la so la venice has its own unique problems but to be honest like is unless you leave something out if you leave something out it'll be stolen as long as you lock up your things lock your house it's pretty safe and as long as you're not going into these areas or messing with like say the homeless community or anything like that they kind of stick with their own they mm-hmm. you don't mess with them they don't mess with you unless you leave your stuff out they're going to steal it um however people are targets and gangs and organized crime are going into all the wealthiest suburbs and literally just like going to people following people home and stealing all their stuff at gunpoint or and all these different things so Live in L.A. started to feel really unsettled. Mm. I, what I miss about L.A. is my friends and the community there. I have some amazing friends and the team that I was working with at Apple are really special. And I really miss them. And I miss, like, the beautiful weather. Mm. But to trade that for feeling safe every day and not feeling like you have to worry about getting shot is pretty nice. I just... And I'm really grateful to be in a place where I can have an amazing lifestyle and pretty much very similar lifestyle without that those factors. What made you choose to live in Australia? Sorry, we've covered this already, but I don't think so. I originally moved long um, time ago in 2005 mm. to live with Nova, and okay. like I was loving Australia, didn't want to leave, and moved to Australia because she would need to finish uni in Melbourne, where she's from. And then um, through that time, global uh, financial crisis in 2008 hit, 
and Australia wasn't affected. So we had planned to go to Hawaii or back to the U.S. and just never did because Australia was awesome and eventually really put in roots and settled. How is how is Hawaii? Actually, sorry, I was going to say how how is Hawaii in terms of what you just Hawaii mentioned? Hawaii is much different, way different. Like night and day, Hawaii is its own country in essence. They would like to be their own country actually, but it feels like a whole other world in comparison to. The continental U.S. and California. That's where you're from, Hawaii. Night, night and day, yeah. yeah. So I'm from a little island called Kauai, the Garden Island. Kauai. And like Oahu, Oahu does feel a little bit like, like a big city on the beach, but then you go around the corner to the east side or up to the north shore, and it's it's an island. It's so oh, beautiful and amazing. Go. And then Kauai itself is one of the most beautiful places in the whole entire world, and it has so many micro climate and some little ecosystems within this tiny island one of the things that really makes me proud to be from there but also that blows my mind is that Dalai Lama one time went to Kauai and took a, a boat ride around the whole island and there's two specific points in the island that are very special one of these mountains looks like King Kong and it's a sacred Hawaiian Hawaiian place and he's like we, as soon as he saw it he just sat there and he's like this is where all souls enter this universe and our world <laughs> and then he went around to the other side and he just like had this profound like experience and was like and this is where they leave oh, wow. the end. I'm just like yeah it's just like okay wow it's oh just like God. it feels like one of these places I don't know I'm sure I mean, you've been to Bali right and, no I've not been you've not have never, you not never been to Bali no never okay. been where else is one of them? Ibiza? Yes, Espe- uh, what's Espedra, okay. the rock. Is that what it's called? So there's yeah. the, yeah, Vedra. And there's these places, the magnetic way lines, right, where they cross. Vedra and Ibiza is one of them. Koh Samui, Thailand is one of them. Bali is one of them. Kauai is one of them. Sedona, Arizona, is Joshua it, is, Tree. Is one in Bulgaria? I think there's one in Bulgaria. There's one in Bulgaria. That's so one there's like, they're all, they're, they're all over the, all over the, all over the world where these lines cross but where they intersect tend to be very very special energetic places Mm. and so it's very interesting because i noticed myself like before knowing about these there's just like this this feeling this connection to this place in the way that it is and in hawaiian there's a word called mana and it's also the same in maori and it means it's like a presence or feeling it's kind of indescribable but it's like this powerful connection to the land and the environment around you that it's like almost like it touches your soul mm. you feel instantly at home and some sort of grounding that you can't quite explain mm-hmm. so yeah and they, they, they believe this is a, an aside I was listening to a, a podcast with a really good uh, I think Harvard based was he a psychologist uh, researcher and he was saying the idea of awe, as in to be in awe of something, there is increasing evidence that it's, it's as much a funda- fundamental emotion to human beings as anger or love mm. to be taken mm. in awe by something. Yeah. So we need that. We need the awe. <laughs> we need those places. That, yeah, then those places that just take your breath away. There's yeah. something about them, right? Mm. Bodies you, of water. And You've mentioned kind of Buddhism twice now. Uh, is, is that... Is that something you relate more to than, I guess, traditional, as it were, yoga philosophy? I, I really resonate with some of the some of the underlying teachings, and I think you know that's where it all kind of started at the basis, right? So, 
think it all derives from that. But I wouldn't say I'm Buddhist in any way. <laughs> uh, but I do re- like some of the things that the Buddha def- said definitely resonate. And I do love that he wanted to abolish the caste system and make these teachings and this pathway to enlightenment really accessible to all. I, I really like the fact that Dalai Lama says he almost doesn't care if Buddhism survives. He's like, in the future, you can call the teachings whatever you want. It's the teachings and the way of living that are important, not the name Buddhism. Mm-hmm. If you want, like he, if he says if you want to call it mindfulness, and that's what Buddhism becomes, fine. As long as you're doing the things, just yeah. do the things. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, call it anything you want. Do these things. Yeah, be nice to people, be compassionate, yeah. interact with the world yeah. in a, a loving, kind way. What do you think enlightenment is? You're getting very deep this morning. Uh, you know me, I'm a Scorpio. I can't do small talk. Go. Oh, what do I think enlightenment is? I think that it is when you're. Your thoughts, actions, and essentially who you are is connected to your deepest consciousness. And through that, it's not just your consciousness, but a more unifying sense of awareness. And not me, but a we. Mm. So this, like, you know, the enlightened beings, they don't see the difference between the guy on the street and their mother, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to look at everyone with love. And I think we all have the ability to have enlightened moments. Mm-hmm. And I like this concept that is not mine, but I heard, but I've learned that like, maybe there are no such things as enlightened beings, but people that have these enlightened moments and they learn to string them together mm. and keep them going. Oof, that's nice. That's like actually that. what the podcast is based on, in a sense. We read Jack Cornfield's book after the after the ecstasy of the laundry, and the idea. Being, I haven't read it. It's amazing. But so, I've, I've, heard, I've heard some quotes from it. It's something. quite a long book, but it, it's it's lots of kind of conversations with people that one might perceive to be enlightened or have have received mm-hmm. enlightenment, whether that be monks, whether that be nuns, uh, and the idea being that yeah, as you say, enlightenment is really a moment. And the, you, you see how you can carry that on and you can uh, remember yeah. what you learned in that moment and practice it then while you do the laundry. Uh, it's, really, it's a really good yeah. book. And that's that's kind of the name of the podcast, Honestly and Balance. The idea we speak to people who are in wellness and their whole career is wellness in the broader sense, but we're still not entirely. None of us are there. None of us are fully balanced. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I feel like no, you need to that. ask like a logistics question, Adam, or like something practical. And I feel you've done mushrooms or something this morning. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, anyone, for anyone not listening, Got like, some not, not watching this, like, when, when, when you were describing that, I don't know if you noticed, Holly had her eyes closed, I just waving wanted... backwards and forwards. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to absorb the information. <laughs> Cheeky little microdosing this morning. No, this is the this is the sign that our our little baby's sleeping better now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a few episodes lately, Holly's been closing her eyes because she's been falling asleep. Not because- <laughs> I haven't previous guests. That's not the case. If you're looking for a new yoga mat, look no further than Life Form. They are by far the best yoga mats. We've been using them for years. Plus, they come in all the pretty colours. So head over to Life Form if you want to purchase one of those for yourself, and you can use the code. Hustler10 for 10% off. I would love to talk a little bit about 
communities now like as in yoga studios were hit quite hard lots closed down had to reformat what they're doing and there's been a bit I, I've noticed in the UK a bit of a trend with teachers I think being a little bit scared and just jumping to what's perceived to be the next best thing as in what I think mm. people need at the moment is persistence like just keep doing your thing and hope that people will come back. And it might take a little bit of time. And even that yesterday, I saw someone I hadn't seen for two years because they just hadn't been to a yoga studio. Like people are coming back. But I think due to perhaps fear, teachers are like, oh no, I need to do this instead. Or I need to quit teaching yoga. Or there's a new studio opening, I need to jump to that one. And I'm seeing that mm. quite a bit. So I guess what, what have you seen in regards as a studio owner, but also as someone who knows lots of teachers? In, in the in the yoga community what have you seen since covid uh, and how have you that's crazy i have seen i have seen a bit of that as well like teachers leaving the industry and like going back to corporate and they like they're like oh, i'm gonna stop teaching yoga and i'm going back to corporate and i'm like wow <laughs> I'm like why and they're like you know i want i want my weekends free and i want to be able to have my nights free and this and that. And so there has been a big shift. I think the pandemic hit so many studios really hard, especially here in Melbourne, a bunch closed down and people are hesitant, I think with their time. And I think that a lot of people did start move online and started an online practice and started. So what I'm noticing is there are people that are still practicing, but they have such variety and they learned to have a home and self-practice. Mm -hmm. And so they might do a little bit of online and come into the studio less regularly. Or some people were just totally scared or they lived with people that were, uh, had um, immunity risk, high risk people to high risk for catching COVID or getting sick. And so they're still like hesitant to go out in public and they're still worried about this. Um, the studios are doing well, but it's still not, the way it was pre-pandemic as far as class numbers like it's not the same and yeah i think it, i think it is getting better but it is interesting how you say about people jumping to next best thing or the like and i think like i listen to a lot of jason's podcasts about being consistent and that's uh, helped me so much because it's just given me like a lot of confidence in knowing that like teaching this class for a week or beyond is a-okay because people are going to be really good at it and they're actually going to have skills that we can then build and work on so that's really how i form my classes and my sequencing and i think as you said when people jump around if it's if they're unsettled and then that's coming out what they're feeling is coming out in the classes in the way that they're teaching because they're jumping around between sequences and or different styles and adding things that they may fully embody so it's a little bit interesting. You've witnessed lots of lots of different yoga communities, I imagine, through retreats, workshops, trainings, living in different places, uh, and as such, got in contact with lots of teachers, many of who are doing really well, but equally many who are just living their life, teaching some local classes. Like, What strategies do you try and teach, especially to your trainees, for kind of staying sane in a world that is actually now slightly competitive? Like when I started teaching yoga, I was kind of the only guy of my age teaching it in the area that also did some sport. Like, so there was no real competition. Uh, and I guess still I have the advantage to some degree that there's not that many, there's not loads of men teaching yoga still who have a sports background uh, and who are interested really in the anatomy. Uh, so, uh, 
but there is still some competition. So how would you advise students to cope, not students, well, your student teachers, to cope with that and either, I guess, one side is beat the competition, but another element is stay sane and okay despite the fact there is competition. The one, the biggest and most animate piece of advice I tell them is to not lose their own practice. Mm. And something I notice is... They graduate with YTT, they're super excited, they take every opportunity given to them, and then they have zero time. And they've gone from literally being in studio every single day, practicing with their favorite teachers every single day, to being that teacher mm -hmm. and being on the other side. And so they lose their practice, and within a couple months, they're headed quickly towards burnout. Mm -hmm. And so my biggest advice is, is not to forget what brought you and to not lose your own personal practice because the biggest edge that you could possibly have is to be embodied. Yes. To truly embody what you're teaching your students and your craft. That's what's gonna make you a commodity. Like, let's face it, anyone that has the expertise of lots of time doing what they do, like the 10,000 hours plus, and they truly love it, if they're passionate about it, they're gonna be a commodity in their community or in their, in their studios because they live it and they love it. Like all I, as soon as I think about my favorite teachers, why do I like them so much for those reasons? Mm. They live it, they've incorporated it into part of their life, they embody it and I feel that what they give me is authentic and real. So how do you do that? Don't stop practicing. You can't, you can't pretend, <laughs> do the can yoga. you? Yeah. You can perform you and there's a difference between performing of the teacher and there's always going to be a performance element to it isn't there you know as someone that's done loads on camera yeah. you know that there is a performance component but you can't just perform because pete you and then parrot what other people say because people see through that completely there is no true you to teach and if people just want to witness a performance they can get that from anywhere exactly and it's like you know what the best moments are when i have a brain fart or i say the wrong side or I mess up, or I put two words together by accident, and I say like, move your spingers off, like, you know, like, <laughs> something, something ridiculous, and then we all have a giggle. Like, I, it was a few months ago now, but I was teaching, and it was a busy, busy class, full class, and in the front row, as I'm demoing, there's like four YTTs, and they're in training, and we're, we're flowing, and someone like, near, they either, I forget the exact moment, they either ask me a question or someone made a fart sound or something very distracting. And like, we all paused, like the whole room just went quiet for a split moment and we had a little like giggle at whatever just happened. And then I went to continue the sequence and I just had a complete blank, like full brain fart. And I just was breathing. I didn't say anything and I smiled. And like, I look over and the YTTs are all looking at me and I'm like, <laughs> I had a brain, I had a brain fart and like the room just died. We we're all just like laughing Aww. so hard. And during that laughter, it came back and I was like, okay, I got it. And we kept going. But those moments when you're real yeah. are so valuable. It's, it's that moment of connection because often you forget as a teacher, you put your teacher on a little bit of a pedestal, you look up to them. And if your teacher is this perfect entity and they don't ever make mistakes, and it it seems so unattainable mm -hmm. but when they're real and they have a giggle with you and they they connect with you it's so special mm -hmm. and so i think like when we can first start teaching we could get into these habits of trying to be perfect 
and trying to make the best experience. And we all want to give the, our best and give our best experience. But part of that is being human. Mm-hmm. And, al- and being human is not being perfect and allowing yourself to say funny words and have a giggle and be real. And I think I think that makes it. There's a nice quote. I never remember who says quotes, which, which is really bad, but one comes to mind and it's don't try to be perfect because you'll have no one to relate to. And it's true, isn't it? Because there's no such so thing as, as perfection. And it's when you're a new teacher, it's so hard to make mistakes and um, not forgive yourself for them. I remember making so many mistakes, but people would come up at the end and, and say, like, it's nice. Like, we actually like you for the mistakes. and It does make you real and it's relatable. So, yeah, just. And that's what bring people back to the yeah. studio as well. Mm. That's the experience you can't get. Well, actually, when I record our own online classes, because we've got our own little online platform as well as other stuff, <laughs> I leave every mistake in. Like I, I don't edit. I, I refuse to edit it because this is just what you'd get from a, a real class. I'm trying to make it as close <laughs> to my real class as possible. It's not quite as fun. Because a pre-recorded class, you can't vibe off people, can you? Mm. But, I, yeah, but, but that is what you will get if you come back to the studio. You'll get that banter. You'll get the laughs. You'll get the interaction. You'll get the stupid stuff. You'll get a little bit more maybe swearing or like <laughs> that will bring people back. Yeah, you gotta have those moments, you know. Like it just it makes it so funny. Mm-hmm. I have, a, I have a story probably I actually I'm not going to tell it's a little bit inappropriate and embarrassing oh we well, like so, inappropriate but, but. embarrassing are you sure <laughs> you do synopsis <laughs> little synopsis oh just we were in a, we were in a um, in a in a full class again and we're getting do you know the pose egg of the universe egg of the universe wrap your arms you wrap your arms around your shins and you hug and you place your forehead on your knees mm. and you you're sitting on your sitting bones and you lift your toes so you're just sitting on your toes okay. on your sitting bones and you're in a little ball and um i guess that was too much intra abdominal pressure for someone <laughs> and they <laughs> introduced the loudest part i've ever heard in yoga <laughs> class and it because we're all there and all our heads were down <laughs> it was a very embarrassing moment and not a peep i was like not a peep. don't laugh don't laugh don't laugh don't laugh. and no one laughed because if if people like pop their head up like it would have been obvious and that person would have been so embarrassed <laughs> and it didn't happen and so after it was just one of these moments i had to held hold inside and then after a few people came up to me and they're like how did you not laugh uh, <laughs> yeah oh, that was a moment. That everyone oh. is kind of in it together i was there. gonna say that it was very kind. like yeah. uh, what's it called that that <laughs> old film where i am not i am sparta i am Spider it's when it's oh it's an old film and it's set in those kind of like ancient Roman times. <laughs> and it's the, 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 the Roman legion is looking for like this rebel slave. And it's like, who is whatever name? Sparta, not Sparta, but Sparta. And everyone's like, I am Sparta. I am Sparta. They all admit to being that person. And they're kind of in it together. That's kind of what I see that as. Everyone kind of acknowledging that they did the fart. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> but we, call, right, no we call that pose, or I know that pose, as wind-relieving pose. <laughs> oh, there you go then. <laughs> Uh, apanasana yeah when you're on your back right yeah you squeeze in yeah oh, oh this, this is, is like uh, not on, oh this, this oh, is okay. sitting on your sitting. on your sit bones same thing but <laughs> okay. sitting on your sit bones so won't be teaching that one then yeah it was my fault should have seen that coming should we do some quick yeah, fires let's do some little quick fires now you fire away first Holly. okay first quick fire uh, what are you grateful for today I'm grateful to be an Australian citizen I did my citizenship ceremony four hours ago Amazing. Congrats. Congrats. What does that involve? Did you have to do anything kind of a bit weird as part of that? No, but I was very disappointed. They gave me a gift bag and there was no Vegemite in it. 
<gasps> I got a tree. Oh, I got a tree and an Aussie flag. How I was, I was like, how is there not Vegemite in this? I'm very disappointed. Amazing. Congratulations. Uh, is Thank there you. is there any app that you use that is amazing for your productivity that you use daily for motivation or productivity? My app for the reminders app is probably my number one go-to app for productivity. I make a list of things I need to tick off and dun, 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 tick them off when I get done. And maybe you could leave our, our listeners with an, an inspirational book or podcast that you've listened to recently. I was recently listening to a podcast called The Ed Milet Show. And it was a very interesting episode on how your gut and brain are directly interrelated. And I will pull up the episode quickly right here. And it's the groundbreaking science between your mind and gut health with Dr. Amy Shaw. Mm. And that was a really interesting episode. They're talking about poop and all kinds of other things, but how it directly affects your mindset, Mm -hmm. your drive, and your physical performance oh, wow. and how that's all interrelated how how are we spelling mylet uh it's the ed mylet show e-d-m-y-l-e-t-t mm. cool thank you and Amazing. then where yeah. where should people find you uh whether they be in it, australia or beyond uh you can contact me on the instagram at d brown yoga did you did you say the instagram the old Instagram or uh, at Warrior One Yoga. And you can find me in Australia teaching at my yoga studios. We also have international retreats and teacher trainings and some cool things with some other really familiar teachers you might know coming soon, hopefully. So, Amazing. Cool. We'll there. put all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a really fun conversation. I enjoyed it a lot.